from the creators who brought you RuPaul's Drag Race and Million Dollar Listing. This is World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of the Wow Report, where we count down the top 10 things from this past week that made us go wow. Wow. I'm Fenton Bailey, co-founder of World of Wonder, joined as ever by editor-in-chief of the Wow Report, James St. James. Darling! And very excited to welcome Alec Mappa, sitting in for Tom Campbell this week. Hello, America. It's all for you, Damien. It's always so wonderful to see your smiling face, my dear. Likewise, likewise. Yay. I'm glad we were able to uh, clear up all our technical issues. Well, I was so being I a bit of a diva. I'm sorry. I've wasted all of our time. What <laughs> is, you know, before I you start know, my tantrum again. I was in Target the other day uh, looking at toys and things, and there's a board game called You're on Mute. <laughs> because like what well, a year and a half into the pandemic and remote living like you're on mute is now actually a board game for all the family <laughs> you're on mute so how do you play you're on mute you know what i don't know because i thought i am not gonna buy that piece of trash uh, <laughs> well, my... i think you need to do it and play it on the on the air one time I oh, think yeah. I will have the whole episode. you're on go... mute yes i will go buy the board game and that's what we'll do we'll just play you're on mute yeah, my my pandemic game would be I'm wearing no pants. <laughs> I can't wait for the big reveal. Mine is, I have in three days. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get into the countdown. Number 10. Alec, it's all about you. Tell us what's oh going on. Number 10. I have a movie that I made before uh, the pandemic in Atlanta that has an all-star cast and is now streaming on Amazon called um, uh, Queen Bees. And get this cast. It stars Ellen Burstyn. Oh. oh. Anne Margaret. Oh. Jane Curtin. Woo! Loretta Devine. Oh, my God. James Caan. Christopher wow. Lloyd. Uh, Frank Stewart and me. Uh, it's, uh, I love Frank Stewart. What uh, a to- cat. Yeah. And Ellen Burstyn is just absolutely wonderful. It's a, it's a, it's a love story that takes place in a senior care facility. I play um, Ellen Burstyn's uh, masseuse and confidant. Um, and uh, uh, it's, it's so, it's so good. I mean, it's, it's, um, it's, it's something you could actually, I usually when I'm in something, I kind of skulk away. Like you can watch it if you want to, <laughs> but um, this one I I stand behind and in front of. It's really a lovely movie, and it's something you could watch with your parents. Now, did you, I know that Lisa has been working with Anne Margaret on the Kaminsky method, and she just mm. has the best. She just gushes on and on and on about her. Did you have any interactions with her? I rode in the transportation van with her every single oh, day to and from so the set. Amazing. Um, she wore a turban. Uh, <laughs> Going to uh, going to the set and and a full beat of makeup, you know, just beautiful. And uh, just making her laugh was like, I feel like this is the reason why I'm alive on the planet right now. It's just That's to make amazing. Margaret laugh. And then we talked about like Bob Mackie costumes and um, all of her variety specials. Oh. And I said that um, when I was a little kid, I thought her name was actually Anne Margrock. Because I knew her <laughs> from the Flintstones first. Um, the only thing she won't talk about is Elvis. 
Okay, but that's fine. I mean, there's there's yeah. a lot of stuff to talk about other than Elvis. I know, I know, but just an incredible career. I mean, she has so many incredible performances. Like Tommy, I could watch her and Tommy ah, over and rolling over right? again. Baked beans, rolling right, exactly. Beans. Did you ask her about that scene? Were they real baked beans? Uh yeah, yeah. Everything oh, yeah. real. Everything's real. Yeah, and also Ellen Burstyn. I've met Ellen a few times, and she is really just has the the best aura about her, and is just so calming. And everything about her yeah. is fantastic. Yeah. yeah, and um, I had drinks one night with Jane Curtin and French Stewart. And oh. This is my uh, Jane Curtin impression. She has ruined us. <laughs> I can't do my sitcom acting with her. It doesn't make any. <laughs> it's funny because i've been watching third rock from the sun again it's on ifc every morning mm-hmm. for yeah. like like 10 episodes in a row i've just i, I her and french stewart just, the whole that whole cast is amazing yeah they're lovely so watch it enjoy enjoy it's, really, it's a really Definitely. a lovely lovely movie that is awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, that is Queen Bees. Not one Queen Bee, but Queen Bees. Queen multiple Bees. Queen Bees. Yes, and now streaming on Amazon. Awesome. Okay, number nine, James. Number nine. This is called The Scarecrow Dilemma, and I want Blake to come in for this one as well because I have a question afterwards for all three of you. Okay. And it's a very important question. Now, there's a new podcast about the Wizard of Oz that's out that's getting a lot of press and a lot of buzz and everyone's talking about it. And I haven't been paying attention to it. All sorts of things have been coming to light about the Wizard of Oz, some new information, and people are going bananas on Twitter about this. And one of the arguments that they've been having is this is is absolutely fascinating and I'm going to lay out the argument for you and then you have to answer. Okay, when when the Wizard gives the Scarecrow the um the the, the diploma yes to give him his brains uh the the scarecrow famously says the pythagorean theorem and famously says the sum of the square of any two sides of an isosceles triangle is equal to the square root of the third side by jove but, but that's wrong the real pythagorean theorem is the real answer is that the square of the length of two sides of a right triangle is equal to the square of the length of the hypotenuse Okay, so then the question becomes one of three things. Is it because, did he get it wrong? Because A, this is Dorothy's dream, and she is a young uh, farm girl from uh, Kansas, and why would she know Euclidean geometry? Mm-hmm. Is it number two, that, that he didn't really give him brains? The wizard didn't give him brains. It's been inside of him all along, so therefore it's his mistake to make. And if you pull that thread very far, you get to free will versus fate, right? Okay. Or is the answer that it was a mistake made by the author, L. Frank Baum, and he didn't know, or a screenwriter somewhere along the way, and nobody bothered to fact check? So is it A, Dorothy's dream, B, the scarecrow is, is, is his own person and it's his mistake to make, or was it L. Frank Baum? And I want to give it to Alec first- L. Frank Baum didn't have anything to do with the screenplay. Okay, I mean they they were taking they were taking L. Frank Baum's um, story, which had been um, written at the turn of the century, right? And they, they and it was now being set, uh, written with a 1939 philosophy and right. point of view, which is why Bert Lahr, you know, everybody was from vaudeville, so they were. It was kind of like if they were taking something from the '60s and turned it into a hip hop musical. It was like their version of Hamilton. So they were speaking in an updated vernacular. I can't believe there's a whole podcast based on this, 
But <laughs> um, I think it's just a screenwriter. I think it's I think it's lazy screenwriting, and I am also amazed that it's taken since 1939 for anybody to catch this uh, well egregious the, error. Famously, did catch the, the the scientists and everybody have been debating this for for a while. But mm. you're going. I'm. This is interesting because I didn't think that that's where you would go with this, Alec. I had everyone figured out, and I did not think that you would say that that number three. Benton, what do you say? Well, I want to know what you thought I would say because it's much more interesting than what yeah. I would say. Well, no, because everything I know about you depends on what you say. <laughs> in my whole, my everything I've ever thought about. I'm going to go with that complicated sounding one about free will, fate, destiny, what have you. B. Oh, really? Okay, it's okay, that's very interesting. Very interesting. Okay, Blake. Well, I'm torn. <laughs> <laughs> I actually really do think it's probably three, like Alex said, but I can also see number two. But I don't think it's number one. That would be okay. I just looked it up on IMDb. There are 20 people who are um, are accredited with writing the screenplay to The Wizard of Oz. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Uh, Noel Langley, Florence Ryerson, Edgar Allan Wolf, Noel Langley. I mean, it just goes on. Arthur Freed. I mean, everybody, it seems like everybody in um, Burt Lahr is credited with additional dialogue. Um, uh, uh, Jack Haley. You think the someone in. would know the, 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 the Pythagorean theory, even though when you just explained it, James, or... or I didn't recognize either of those. Well, that's because I was stuttering. And if I said it properly, because I, I don't know the Pythagorean theory off, off, there, off the top of my head. Either. Or it, it could also be that that was the best take that Ray Bolger had. Oh, there you go. You know, there like you maybe go. maybe he did, he made a mistake and is like, listen, we all want to go to bed. Fuck it. Nobody's going to check what do you think, James? Like, well, after- I think that it's it's Dorothy's dream, and why would Dorothy know the Pythagorean theorem? That, to me, is the one that makes the most sense. But, and I would have suspected, Fenton, that you, in your Fentonian, <laughs> usually, you would say, I've never seen The Wizard of Oz. <laughs> move on, because you've never seen any classical movie that I ever bring up. Oh, <laughs> you got me. I mean, I haven't seen the whole thing. but You've never, I knew it, you've never seen The Wizard of Oz, right? I've seen more bits, I've seen more of it than less of it. You know? <laughs> like, How I you was right, okay, I was right. I've never met a homosexual who's never seen all of the Wizard of Oz. You would be you would be surprised at the movie. I've always oh, said that I am going to have uh, as soon as this pandemic is over, I am having a movie night at Fenton's once a week in which we go through Sunset Boulevard. Oh, I love that movie. Exactly. Did you say Sunset Boulevard? Because we can cancel the rest of the show and just talk about Sunset Boulevard. Oh, yeah. There have been, like, suddenly last summer, I imagine you have probably seen Oh, I love that. I love that movie. Oh, my God, I've seen that. Okay, come on. Have at me. What else? (laughs) Listen, if you come up with a list, and it will be you and Nolan and Blake and Alec and I, and Tom (laughs) Tom can come over, and and Tom and I will switch back and forth. Perfect. Tom and Alec and I will be the ones. Perfect. Okay. Anyway, okay. All right. All right. Let's move along. More to be revealed, I guess, because that is the uh, endless text that just keeps wow. on giving Wizard of Oz. Yeah. Um, number eight. Number eight. I, you know, I was going to talk about the Green Knight because I thought it this was a movie from A twenty four. It's the the uh, pre Arthurian roundtable story, and I bought a ticket to see it virtually. It streamed this week virtually. 
20 and minutes it stars, in. Hold on, it stars Dev Patel, who was one does, of the handsomest in Hollywood. 20 minutes yeah. in, I just lost the will to live. And really? I came, we'll just have to add it to a movie night screening. We'll just oh, have to get together. Wait a together minute, are you an Arthurian person? I mean, do you like I all of that? I am, but I'm sorry. My movies just need to move a bit quicker and have a little bit more action. Like, for example... Okay. Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Tell me everything about it. Was it great? Oh, my God. James knows, and is a little bit tired of hearing about the Marvel Cinematic Universe and my admiration for it, which is boundless and bottomless. The last movie we talked about here, I think, was Black Widow, which I adored and thought was Marvel's best movie yet. Haven't seen it. Apart from Thor Ragnarok, which is the Mm. number one of all time. This movie is amazing. It is Mm. incredible. And, of course, it comes with some controversy, right? Um, I think it was um, Bob Chapek, the CEO of Disney, um, said that it was an interesting experiment. He was referring to the way they're going to release it theatrically. They're doing a 45-day theatrical window before they stream it. Oh, Um, which is what Scarlett Johansson wanted, which is why she's suing Disney. Right, exactly. But, unfortunately, uh, the lead actor, uh, Simo Liu, thought that he was referring to the fact that it's Asian characters and Asian superheroes. And so there was a bit of a kerfuffle there, you know, saying we're not an experiment. We are the underdog. We are underestimated. We are the ceiling breakers. But you know what? You know, it it put me a little bit in mind of Crazy Rich Asians, which was such an enormous success. Mm -hmm. And for the life of me, it beats me why, why Asians have been excluded from the Hollywood experience, because this movie is so amazing. It is oh. so, it is easily Marvel's best movie. I mean, I, you know, Thor I Ragnarok, and that they're in a sort of neck and neck. Um, and interestingly, it's one of the lesser well-known of the characters of the. I've never of, heard of her. Of there was yeah. It was created in in the mid seventies. Funnily enough, at the height of the kung fu craze, Bruce Lee. created by two white writers. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know, it was a sort of IP created in a way that would be cancelled today. Sure. But they've really gone back and sort of um, sensitively repurposed the whole myth and the whole storyline, I Love suppose, it. for today's times. But interestingly, okay. the, 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 it, it, he's a character. It, this goes back. This isn't completely new to the MCU. Mm. They're in the villain in Iron Man 1 who kidnaps Iron Man. Is ben is the, it's the gang of the Ten Rings which oh. was led by an, a villain called Mandarin. And it turns out that Mandarin was a front for um, Shang-Chi's father, who is the, the mastermind with the Ten Rings. I'm, I'm mangling the story. These, these Marvel stories are so, there's so much plot. It's hard to uh, kind of- Listen, one might listen. Say. It's never about the plot. It's about the color and the costumes and the big fight scenes. And if it's diverting enough, I took my kid to all the MCU movies when he was growing up. And I would literally just wait until somebody took their shirt off and they'd fall asleep. That's all I remember about the first Thor movie was a Hemsworth brother taking off his shirt. And then I I sacked out because I was so exhausted. But I do want to see Shang-Chi. Did you see um, uh, 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 Suicide Squad? 
I have not seen Suicide well, Squad. Yeah, it. I know. I took, thank you. I've been trying to tell him to go see Suicide Squad. It is it, it is MCU. If you like, if you're an MCU person, it's DC for, for MCU fans. Yeah, it's but directed the by the person who did Guardian of the Galaxy. And they just yeah. kind of said, the premise is the first movie was shit. We're just doing a complete do-over. And also, the reason to see it is... Um, there's a, 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 a scene with John Cena in Tidy Whitey's for no reason. There's no reason, and yeah, it's yeah, just in yeah. Tidy Whitey's, and it's the reason to see the movie. Yeah. Well, I, I, yeah, you're not going to get a lot of topless satisfaction out of this one, but the, the, it, it's it's um, Simulu and Aquafina make such a great double act. They basically, in real life, they're um, car valet people in San Francisco before uh-huh. they get sucked into the the MCU and they're just so funny together and so lovely together. And I think what's, what's really transformed both Marvel and DC is the, is the use of a of humor mm-hmm. and B of sort of mixing real life in. So you end up with the sort of, these movies aren't purely escapism. They sort of resonate or are in parallel with some of the issues of the time. So mm-hmm. Aquafina's very much, you know, an American raised Asian character yes. Who doesn't know her native language? And it's just really funny the way they play with that. They play with the whole ethnic identity and the identification politics of it all mm-hmm. in a very funny way. In addition to some of the most jaw dropping action sequences, of course, well, you've ever saw in your life. But that's the thing that I, when we were talking about the new series Kung Fu that has come out, and we were saying that after Crazy Rich Asians, that why does every single Asian movie have to be Kung Fu? Like, why does, why can't there be just Crazy Rich Asians again? Why, why does, why can't there? No, I mean, it's, 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 there's a very simple answer for it. It's like Asian people aren't making the artistic decisions, the creative decisions. So, I mean, if there were Asian people running the studios, then there would be more certainly more Asian stories. But yeah. I think that, you know, we're discovering more international cinema all the time. I mean, if you watch yeah. Taiwanese films, uh, there's that great movie on uh, Netflix, that gay story, uh, Your Name oh, Engraved yes. Therein. Fantastic. Beautiful. About Asian it. cinema is visually so sophisticated. Yeah, and also, gorgeous. I think in terms of storytelling and sort of emotional layers, just so much more than the Western narrative of... It's, yeah, it, yeah. It's, it's more nuanced. Yeah, I, just, I get yeah. disappointed that every time an American Asian, you know, an Asian American movie comes out, it is always just it's always kung fu yeah 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 but you know what to your point with that we're going on 20 years of superhero movies now and i remember they came out shortly after um, 9-11 and i think that they're popular because as a as a whole our culture we feel so helpless Mm -hmm. against the environment against political problems and and seeing a superhero save the day seeing good triumph over evil i mean it's it, it's very comfort it's it's comfort it's, it's comfort it's, food it's comfort food for all you're of so us. right we i mean because i think it's, i think in some ways we do think that superhero movies are somewhat childish or infantilizing because mm-hmm. you know they're a sort of a way of escaping the the incredible complexities of the world we live in but i think at the same time what the mcu is doing is actually really engaging with the problems that we face. And they're sort of writing narratives that take Mm. that into account. So they're not pure escapism, which I think they tended to be more originally. I think they're Mm -hmm. much more knowing, much more cynical, much more sort of just engaged with the times in which we live, which I I think is a great thing. Uh, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings will be streaming. But actually, it's not streaming, Blake. I'm sorry. It's after 45 days. 
September 3rd. So mm. this is an early preview. It's really good. Oh, hey, before we go to the break, I will just say Drag Race Philippines is coming. Wow. thing has begun. <laughs> DragRacePH.com. That's where you go. Um, and when it arrives, it'll be on Wow Presents Plus exclusively. So very excited about that. Can't Alex, wait. You have to do a, you have to be in it. You have to Absolutely. Do I'll see if I'm not. All right. <laughs> we'll be right back. Why the hell have I been doing these damn podcasts? <laughs> I want to be a star in the Philippines. <laughs> we'll be right back after the break. You're listening to World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. And welcome back to the Wow Report. I'm Fenton here with James St. James and Alec. Hi. 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 Always great so to be here. Good to see you. All right. We're counting down the top 10 things that made us go wow this week. Number seven, Alec. Number seven. Oh, um, uh, 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 Mayor of Easttown. Did you watch it? Yes. Okay. Love. See, I resisted it forever because it just looked so dreary. I was like, ugh. And, it I, is. and then. And then, and then Kate Winslet comes on, British Kate Winslet, and she does that weird Philly accent that's kind of like this, like, like it's almost like Baltimore, like a little bit, like, like she says, like code, like, like all her O's are really strange, like, and then um, Jean Smart comes on, and she's on three different HBO shows right now, and she's completely different in every single one of them. In Watchmen, she's kind of like the sophisticated kind of like police detective. In this, she is an alcoholic grandma, and on Hacks. And, and and she's amazing in each and every single part. So I watched one episode and I'm like, oh. I'm really into this. It's so good. Did you see it? Wait, are you, you're, are, you've only done one episode so far, right? No, I watched the whole thing. I watched, oh, you did? I, okay. I, okay. I, I, I couldn't okay. wait to get through the entire thing. Yeah, yeah. I know, I know what happens. I'm not going to do any spoilers. It's a murder mystery in some kind of crappy little um, steel town where um, the industry's gone and, and what's left are kind of uh, down down and out um, East Coast type Pennsylvania people. Absolutely. We watched it and loved it. And we've talked about it a few times because we first we served with Mare and then it was all about Gene Smart in Mare. And then, of course, Hacks came along and it's just, this is the home of Gene Smart uh, Fan Appreciation Society. Yes. Like everything yeah. she does. It, well, it's, it's the Gene because, Smart Renaissance. Yes. Yeah, well, it was the Gene Smart Renaissance, and now we're having a Jennifer Coolidge Renaissance. So it is like everyone is getting their due finally after all these years, and it's very it's, right, it's wonderful right. to watch. You know, because I've been on a White Lotus kick. I don't know if you guys did you watch? Do White I Lotus wa- I'm not through the whole thing yet. I heard that you the haven't finale... gotten to the pooping scene. You haven't gotten to the pooping yeah. scene yet. No. No, I haven't gotten to the pooping scene, but you had me at pooping scene. Anything to do with poop, I'm right there. Um, Jennifer Coolidge in Swan Song gives a lovely, lovely performance. She's wonderful in it. Is it outrageous to say that Gene Smart and Jennifer Coolidge are both very camp actors? Like, and I mean that in the in the finest terms. They, but they've been sort of marginalized, perhaps because they were seen as camp. And in fact. Mm-hmm. Their genius right. is just, I, it's just weird that coincidentally they're both being 
so finally recognized. They are both camp, and they do give many, many camp performances, but they're finally being able to show the layers of, that they are actual actresses. Mm-hmm. And they are actual. You actually feel for them as opposed to just sort of giggling along with them. That like you, you see the, the poignancy and the depth of, of their characters, and they, they're just absolute geniuses. Right, and it's the thing of like being an actor in Hollywood. If you're successful as a shoe, nobody wants to use you as a boot. You know, it's kind of there, you know, they they were both kind of rewarded for, I mean, Gene Smart in Designing Women, hilarious. Jennifer Coolidge in anything hilarious. But you forget that they have the actual skills to pull off small moments, delicate mm-hmm. moments. I mean, um, I don't know if you saw Swan Song with Udo Kier. You probably both have seen it. Uh, oh, yeah. I've been dying to see it. it the people are saying that possibly Udo is going to is up for an Oscar this year because of it. Gorgeous. It's absolutely gorgeous. You gotta see it. Yeah. It's um he's sort of like a Quentin Crispian type. He looks sort of like Quentin Crisp. And it's he, he's a hairdresser. Yeah. And he's doing one last gig before he before he passes on to the great beyond, right? See, yeah. my theory here is that camp is not a marginal thing and that camp has been marginalized and ignored, but camp is actually really it's a weapon, it's a valid I, I, I'm sort of here to defend camp and sort of claim camp as, as genius rather than guilty pleasure. Because right? you're queer. No, I mean, because we, it's code. We under, it's a language we understand and we speak and we know the depth and complexity of it. We don't just see like, you know, the he- beaded headdress and the feathers and the huge performance. We know the pathos behind it. We know we know the heart behind it. So there's, right. so when you, I don't see camp as a pejorative at all. Exactly. Well, exactly. I mean, we're, you're 50 years too late on this as Susan Sontag is. <laughs> oh, no, she was. You should yeah. read that. Reread she that essay because she is wrong, wrong, wrong about camp. And it's actually a slightly phobic perspective on camp and definitely a marginalization. Mm. Wow. I think that's a whole mm. different conversation. Wow. That's a whole show. Got we got it yesterday. Camille Paglia versus Susan Sontag. <sighs> and you were team Camille the whole way and I just roll my eyes. Anyway, anyway, that's a whole All right, to be continued, Campus, it's, it's going to be a Marvel Comic Universe movie, you know. All right. Uh, Sontag versus Paglia, right? Oh, wow. Um, all right, I'm going to go on to number... Oh, number six. Actually, it's not me, it's James. Number six. Number six. You're always trying to just slightly... You're trying to get me out. I know you're trying to remove me. I am reading a new book um, called uh, it's about the Duchess of Windsor. Uh, it's called the uh, American Duchess, the Real Wallace Simpson by Anna Pasternak. And uh, the Duchess of Windsor, Wallace Simpson, is probably one of the most written about women of the la- of the twentieth century. I have uh, two rows behind me of Wallace Simpson books. She is famously the woman who had the affair with the the prince uh, with Prince Edward, and then um, she was the twice divorced American woman. And when she he became King Edward VII, he gave up his throne for this woman because the, his subjects would not allow him to marry uh, a, a twice-divorced American woman. And he famously said on the radio, I am giving up my throne for the woman I love. And she became the most hated woman of the century because, you know, she took their king away from them. And they basically just trotted around the globe for the rest of their lives going from party to party to party and they would go to capri to palm beach to samaritz and they would just let this very silly pointless life 
and uh, she was the most best. She was the best dressed woman on the planet for decades and decades and decades. And she wore the biggest jewels and the best outfits and everything. And Elsa Maxwell once asked her why she was so well dressed, and she said. He, the, the king gave up his throne for me. The least I can do is be well-dressed for him, <laughs> which I love. I think that's the funniest thing ever. And she was very famously a bitch on wheels. And there are yeah. all sorts of stories about her. Every morning, she had that money ironed so that it would be nice and crisp. She had the servants iron her money. Iron my and cash. Iron the cash. And when the, the newspapers came in the morning, she would have them laminated. The servants had to laminate <gasps> the newspapers so that the ink would not stain the, the Duke's hands. Okay? And another thing, this is my favorite, she kept a little pad of paper and a gold pen next to her at, at, the, at the table for every meal and every dinner party. And she would write down everything the servants did wrong. And then she would have them afterwards. She would gather the servants together and tell them she, and it would be like, the the, the wine glass was three-fourths of an inch too close to the plate, and if you do it again, you'll be fired, and by God, you know, the, the peas and the carrots go below the game hen, and if I had the peas to the left and the carrots to the right, and the footman will be fired if I have to tell him one more time. This sort of why, why are you so fascinated by her? Yeah, because like, is, didn't you, aren't you turned off by the whole Nazi sympathizer thing? Like, that? All, that's yes, always yeah. kind of where I draw the line with them. I'm like, yeah, you guys are fun and frivolous and rich, but you're kind of assholes to me. <laughs> terrible, terrible assholes. And he is just the silliest, most infantile, useless person on the planet. And yet there's something, there's a new thing in this episode, in this book that fascinated me because they said that every morning she had the servants go around and spray Diarissimo perfume on the flower vases because she didn't think the flowers smelled good enough on their own. Like she didn't think the nature did a good enough job, so they had to be sprayed with Diarissimo perfume, which is just—it's those little tiny things. Did she can... come from money herself? No, no. Well, her she her family was money, but she was the poor relation of money, and so her whole life she had to, you know, had to beg her aunt to buy her a dress to wear to the cotillion. She had to bear, you know, da da da. She never had enough. And so she was just trying to do this. But anyway, this is the first book I've ever read about her that is trying to repaint her, recast her in a, in a good light and trying to rehabilitate her image, which is impossible. But you have all these horrible, horrible people. It doesn't people. sound good. <laughs> it, yeah. You have all these horrible people who are coming forward, like Diana Mosley. I don't know if you know Diana Mosley. Isn't she one of the Mosley family, the fabulous fascist guy? The, the Mitfords, yes. She was a Mitford. And then she married um, Sir um, Oswald Mosley, who was the leader right. of the fascist party, you know. In so England. they're all Trumps. So you, have, you have this woman who is like the leader of the fascist party coming forward to defend the Duchess. And it like Nikki Halsum. Do you know Nikki Fenton? Yeah. Okay, Nikki has a lot to say about how wonderful the Duchess was and how marvelous she was so witty and so adorable at dinner parties and this and that. And Nikki Halsam is always like, you know, I was with the Noriegas and, and the, you know, the Emperor. And we were antiquing in Nantucket with Papa Doc Duvalier. And so you really can't take any of these people, but it's just, I, this book is absolutely hysterical. And if you have any interest in the Dutch, the Duke or Duchess, it's a, it's a fun read. It sounds good. Tell us the name of the book and then we'll go on. It's, it's called uh, The American Duchess, The Real Wallace Simpson. <laughs> All right. That's number six. Number five. Number five. Um, I really should have carried on from um, talking about 
Gene Smart and Jennifer Coolidge, because this is um, Nine Perfect Strangers. Now, I totally met, which is on Hulu. It's a limited drama series on Hulu based on the book by Leanne Moriarty. And the significance of her is that she was also the person who wrote Pretty Little Liars. Wait, I saw that. Pretty Little Liars. No, wait, hold on. Pretty Little Liars is the teen series. Pretty Pretty Little Lies. Big Little Lies is is the one you're thinking of. Oh, okay. I've got it all muddled up. As usual, I got all completely confused. But anyway, so it's Nicole Kidman. And it's really kind of interesting. It's, it's, the plot premise is nine perfect strangers uh, are going to a sort of get well, transformational, new agey retreat okay. uh, that is run by a mad Russian woman called Masha, which is played by Nicole Kidman. And, you know, Nicole Kidman, you know, everyone's been laughing and joking about the fact that she can't move her face anymore. And, you know, so so the acting gets done by the long coat she's wearing or other things. <laughs> but her look in it, it's so great. They've done her eyebrows. It's like sort of diagonal. It's not a unibrow, but they sort of uh-huh. almost meet. And they've given her slightly buck teeth. So when she smiles and she looks like a mad woman and she's got this <laughs> Russian accent and long stringy blonde hair. And it's kind of genius. She, she's trick-or-treating. It sounds like she's trick-or-treating. It's she really like, you is. Know, dong, Nicole, who are you? I'm a Russian and obligingly, lady. Exactly. And obligingly, <laughs> Nicole is, has been play, you know, playing this part for five months. She was method acting her ass off and wouldn't even say hello to her kids. She was, she was masher <laughs> 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And she, she ate cold fish that. for every single uh, meal. <laughs> I went completely crazy. So anyway, Me and Jared Leto are, are the, the great method actors of our day. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just, so 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 there's these nine people at Nicole Kidman's weird new agey retreat, and you know, needless to say, it's gothic and it's horror, and it's going to go all sorts of places. And it's a great premise. Years ago, we actually developed a, a real a, a, a reality series. Um, around a, a group therapy called Core Energetics, and it was very much like this: that they would they would take all the applicants and they would cast them and create a perfect mix of characters, and then put them together in you know this ten day, two week retreat where all your secrets get told and people freak out and have breakdowns. Ooh. So it's a great. Um, I'm really in it. There's three episodes up right now, and um, I've watched two of them. And, well, I looked at the oh, cast. The cast is really exciting. I was going to say, yeah. Melissa McCarthy is abs- is one of my favorite actresses on the planet. Is she fun? She's uh, yeah. Anytime she appears, it's hilarious. Oh, good. She's, a, she's an authoress um, of novels who's just been dropped by her agent literally as she arrived at the Tranquillum, which is the name of the retreat. Tranquillum. Um, who else is in it? Um, um, we have uh, Michael Shannon, who I love. Yeah. Uh, Luke, Luke Evans. I uh, love Luke Evans. No, I hate uh, Luke Evans. I'm sorry. Samara Weaving. Uh, um, and Manny Jacinto, who was the Filipino kid from um, The Good Place. Oh, he's so good. He's, he's so, so good. gorgeous. Regina Hall, who I loved oh. in Girls Trip. And Bobby Cannavale. Isabel, oh, I love Bobby Cannavale. Yeah. Isabel Cornish. He was a good friend of mine. Bobby Cannavale? Yeah. Jenny Lumet. He was married to Jenny. You remember Jenny. Yeah. He's so hot. All right. That's nine perfect strangers. Mm, Nine perfect strangers. I like the sound of that. Time to take another break. Just before we go, I got to tell you, Drag Tot Season 2 is on Wow Presents Plus worldwide 
your favorite RuPaul's Drag Race queens, Bianca Del Rio, Valentina, Latrice Royale, Monet Exchange, Heidi in Closet, Jimbo, and more. So get WOW Presents Plus at wowpresentsplus.com. You're listening to World of Wonders WOW Report. Things that make us go wow. Welcome back to the WOW Report. I'm Fenton, joined by James St. James, and sitting in for Tom Campbell, Alec Mapa. Hi, everybody. Hi. Alec, share with us your number four. Number four. My number four is, okay, so uh, one of these, uh, I just started watching a show on uh, the Netflix, Brand New Cherry Flavor. What? And it is, uh, it's it's a gothic kind of horror show that stars Catherine Keener as a witch living in Hollywood in the nineties. I love who, it. And there is there is an there's a a, a young filmmaker who gets her um, uh, film stolen from her by an executive, and she casts she uses Catherine Keener to put a, a curse on this person. So it's all really witchy and everything. And Catherine Keener is just great in her. Great in it. I really, I really like that show. And um, the other thing that I watched and I'm, listen, I have no standards whatsoever. So I watched on HBO just because it was there suggested on the homepage F Boy Island. The F stands for... Did it deliver on the F-boy feeling? They did. And so what I did was I watched the first episode and I said, I'm not going to, I'm not going to last 10 episodes of this. I'm not going to last five. So I I skipped ahead to the finale. And what I learned is the fuck boy is like just basically a Lothario who is just a no good Nick. He's just a hot, hot guy who's out to fuck over women. And the premise is they have, there's 12 nice guys and 12 fuck boys on the island there's 24 and at the very end she has to pick one of them between it narrows down to two per girl like there's three girls and they have to choose between the nice guy or the fuck boy and the fuck boy if he wins the hand of the girl has a choice between one splitting the money with her hundred thousand dollars or taking the whole hundred thousand dollars and breaking up and wait, do they choose the fuck boys? Do they all choose the fuck I can, boys? I, I can't give it away, but I, it, it, it <laughs> what becomes clear is that these women are being uh, given the choice between the nice guy who is stable, who uh. is going to be loving and kind of dull, and the fuck boy who's really exciting and a shitty person. I hate to hear it. I hate to set that no, up. No, exactly. Oh. Is that even a choice? You know how people are and people will choose the fuckboy every damn time. Yeah, but see, the fuckboy in the first episode are trying to appear as if they are the nice guys because they don't oh. know yet. So it's all about the deception. So can no. you really, can you tell your fuckboys from your nice boys if if the fuckboys are trying to be the pretending to be the nice boys? Oh, it's a game within a game, it's I suppose. A game within a game. Is yeah. it really because, game? like, uh, what is a fuckboy anyway? Like, really? Like, are they more hot than regular guys? And the are they just are in, in yeah inherently hot? I mean, and they're inherently exciting, and they're inherently they're gonna you know they're exciting. a challenge for women. Drama. They're a challenge for men, you know. I mean, like, how many fuckboys do we know in the in the in the gay scene? Yeah, and the, yeah. and the, and what the women are attracted to on the show is not just the fuckboy, but the possibility of reforming a fuckboy. I'm the one who changed him. Uh, I'm the one who tamed him. Bloody blue, blue, blue. Blake, it says guys who just want to fuck and not be in a relationship are fuckboys, according yeah, to yeah. So Blake. gay. <laughs> okay. 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I would get. I would. I would say that we probably have more fuckboys in the gay ro- in the gay. Well, I don't even know about that. I I think there's just an epidemic of fuckboyery. The the only reason I started watching it is the guys are super hot. All the guys on it are really really hot. And they're all straight though, so that's mm, a little. Yeah. Well, right. whatever. Yeah. Okay. Nobody's perfect. <laughs> Number three, James. Number three. Well, I just very quickly want to talk about the, the debacle that has been the search for the new Jeopardy host. I don't know if you guys have been paying attention to this. Um, barely. I know that it was um, Mayim Bialik and some other guy, but he's been uh, exposed as saying um, misogynist things on a podcast. Yes, yes. Right? His name his name is Mike Richards. And what happened was, is they set up this whole thing where they, they were going to try out all these hundreds of people. And then they were going to have a rotating guest host for, you know, through two or three months. And people were going to come through and try out for the gig. And then the audience was going to vote on who they wanted. And when it came down to it, you know, all these fabulous people of our Burton and um, uh, Katie Couric, Katie, Katie Couric. Couric, Savannah Guthrie, Ken Jennings, Robin Roberts, Duchess of Windsor. The Duchess of Windsor, yes. All these people, Nikki Haslam. Nicole um, Kidman. Yeah, Nicole Kidman. <laughs> Melissa McCarthy. Um, Gene Smart. Were, <laughs> Gene Smart. Yeah, Jennifer Coolidge. Everybody on the planet. <laughs> but when it came down to it, they chose the, the um, producer of the show, who this white man who is thir- 36 years old who had the inside track all along who was going to he was going to give himself the job no matter what and the whole thing left such a terrible taste in everybody's mouth people are boycotting left and right he is just he's he's the least charismatic of everybody but because he's the producer he gets to say i think i win you know and he, i know so it's really disgusting and people are saying that they won't watch the show anymore after watching for 50 years you know with their grandmother grandmother and father and you know blah, blah, blah. they've they've given up on the show and then it just came out this week that he had done all this this podcast a few years ago in which he was very misogynistic and he was uh, uh he was saying all sorts of horrible things about about you know women and and he was very uh racist and homophobic and all this is coming out and i guarantee he's not going to last He's supposed to start this week, and it's. I doubt he's going to last. <laughs> he's going to have to fire himself. He's get yes, and and then it will. It'll hopefully go to Mayim Bialik and and Lavar Burton, who probably mm. deserve it. You know, Lavar. Lavar Burton was great. Yeah, yeah, and and, and, really and people have been rooting for him because he has such a, a you know people love him so much, and it was just such a no brainer. So anyway, that I just wanted to quickly That's talk. That's Jeopardy, about. right? Jeopardy. Jeopardy um, is in Jeopardy. Jeopardy. I love Jeopardy. Jeopardy. I love that show. I know. It's such a great All show. Right. Moving on to number two. Number two. Have you heard of Bearson? B-E-A-R-S-U-N. Oh, mm-hmm. not until this morning when you showed me the picture. Bearson is 33-year-old Jesse Larios, and he is walking from Los Angeles to New York. Uh, he's raising money for uh, cancer, mental health, autism, uh, the environment, disabled community. But he's doing it in a giant bear costume. And I have a weakness for plushies and furries. And he's, he's just this gorgeous big brown bear. And it's a 30-pound costume. And he's, he's 50 days out on his journey walking across the United States. Um, Does he get think, to take it off if he gets hot? Or I mean, well, right, he was in Arizona. Jeez, that's got to stink. That's got to smell. That costume has to August. breathe. Yeah, he has washed it a few times. Smell. It weighs 30 pounds. 30 pounds. And, I have a feeling it, he's going to collapse any minute. 
when I first started at World of Wonder, remember I dressed in a bear suit and went and delivered um, pitches to people? That's right. Well, I remember you were Bear Brittany too. You were also <laughs> Brittany as a bear. We've had you. We've had you do some very well. That bear suit, I can contest. It was very hot. It was like a summer day. So, yes, and and of course, oh, in, in the Lord. rain, he's walking in the rain. I mean, it, it's twenty pounds. Like, but how far he, has he gotten? Well, he's fifty days out, and he's currently in the Navajo Nation, and he's been welcomed there. With open arms, people are giving him encouragement. They're walking Beautiful. with him. They're giving him food, water, shelter, money. It's it's just a lovely, heartwarming thing to see. And um, well, it's it's very um. Uh, what was the run forest? Run, run forest. forest. Run. Yes, I'm sorry. I had a brain fart right there. <laughs> well, so and the can... bear suit is really cute. Now, when you say you have a softness for plushies, is it like um, is that like a sexual thing, or is it no? Just like... Alec, it is not. Okay. Is it not? Because... Is, I'm not. But not that you're he, judging he, he, me. You're, I know. You're on the air. If it was, is my question. <laughs> I would I'm say if talking it was. about it for 20 years. I have to believe there is some little yeah. truth in there somewhere, whether you admit yeah. it. Or... Stop! You're giving, you're giving me a hard on. Stop! Yeah. <laughs> um, no, it's like I think it's like a security thing. I just think they're really cute and cuddly. I mean, it's like mascots at Disney World. I mean, I don't want to like jump on them and hump them. But you know, what? I think, let's let's talk about that for a second because I think that that happens. The pathology of it, I think, is so fascinating uh, because I think we have pathology. nerve endings. The, we have nerve endings all over our body, and I can imagine like a little kid rubbing up against um, a, a stuffed toy, and then that's somehow being eroticized in your brain and seeking that out later. Alec, for talking no. out loud, lowering the tone here, like. Look, okay, weighted blankets are a thing, right? When you, yeah. if you had a weighted well, blanket, if you get off on your weighted blanket, that is it for me. I am hanging up. Benton, just admit it. You're a furry. It turns you on. It's you are as God made you. There's no shame, me or there's nothing wrong with, with it. these mascots, with these Disney characters. It's like these are who we turn to in complicated, difficult times. It's like yeah, I turn to my therapist you know, I, and I medication. But I, I don't do. Turn I am toy. turned on by a lot. There are a lot of cartoon characters. You know, I've told you that that Fred from Scooby Doo was my first boyfriend, and you know, Aquaman. Aquaman. What? Aquaman. Aquaman was definitely Tarzan. Uh huh. So I mean, I understand weird, erotic little quirks. Snagglepuss. Snagglepuss. Yeah, but, but I'm not going to give you weighted blankets. You are not allowed to be turned on. Aquaman is a muscly man in a, in a loincloth swinging from the trees. It's different to a big, lovely bear character that you I'm, know. You know what? Yeah. I love weird. I mean, I'm weirder than both of you because my first TV crushes were on Lurch and um, uh, I Herman Munster. I can see Munster. that. Herman Wait, who is the second one? Herman Munster, because he was, he was a big gay guy. He was so funny. He had that great laugh. And I just thought Fred Wynn was so a kid. Well, I imagine if you get both Lurch and Herman naked, you're going to, there's yeah. a lot to swing That's on That's a good there. time. That's a good time. <laughs> yeah. The places we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Let I me just it. say, yeah. as we go to break, that RuPaul and, and BBC Three have revealed <laughs> The next set of fabulous drag queens for series three of Drag Race UK, which is coming uh, this September. Very okay. soon now. So exciting. Yep. 12 new queens. Head over to the Wild Report. You can see them all. All right. So we're going to take one last break. And when we come back, we'll reveal the number one thing this week 
that made us go, wow. You're listening to World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. Hey, hey, hey. Welcome back to the Wow Report. It's Fenton here with our very special guest, Alec Mappa. Yay. I was so glad I was here for your outing as a furry. I think it's it's a historic moment. As I'm, I said I wasn't going to cry, but it's really moving. <laughs> we and always suspected, so it's causing trouble. It's okay, causing okay. trouble, stirring it all up is James St. James, who's, who's <laughs> trying to describe <laughs> me as a furry sexual. It's not true. <laughs> and Blake. So, okay. So, what is the number one thing this week? Number one. It is. It is a new podcast, Alec, called Night Fever. New York nightlife legends of the 70s, 80s, 90s, and beyond that I am doing with Brandy and Fenton. We have done our first 10 episodes. We're in the middle of editing them furiously as we go. Uh, the, I'm Just very quickly, I'm going to name off to our guests. The first guest is Diane Brill. Forever queen. Fantastic. Yeah. The second is Michael Musto, because of course you got to have of Michael course. Musto. Yeah. Lisa Edelstein, who was my yes. longtime cohort. Uh, you get, a, you get yeah. a name drop in that well, one. Well, I, I'm going to get to that in one second. Very quickly, we have Moby, we have um, uh, Irrigation, we have Rudolph, we have Louis Extravaganza, we have Walt Paper, we have uh, uh, Ernie Glam. Uh, who am I forgetting? Anybody? Joey Arias. Joey Arias, my God. Yes, we've got Joey Arias. And the thing about this show is, is that it's it's all your favorite parties. It's all your favorite memories from the 70s, 80s, 90s. And it is goes fast and furious. And the name draw the names are dropping left and right. Love and it. the stories are draw. I mean, they're so funny. And every it's always, you know, I was with, you know, like we, we were saying, you know, it's like I was with David Bowie and Klaus Nomi, and we were doing Coke in the bathroom and when you know Jackie O walked in. And it's all sort of sort of like that. It's it's really fantastic. Wonderful. And I want to have a, a drinking game where every time you don't know a name, you take a drink, maybe like like Anita Sarko, you have to take a drink, you have to say, or um, maybe every time you know a name, I can't, I can't decide. But or if you're a celebrity and you get name checked, you have to take a, a, like four. And Alec, you are in episode three. You are named. You are name checked. Uh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, Lisa. I was alive. You know, I remember going to NYU and reading the New York Times Magazine article that was about you and Lisa E, as she was known at the time. Yeah. And thinking, when do these two have time to go to class? <laughs> well, well, Lisa and I do have a lot of really fun memories of of Ruben and uh, you know the all of that, and we, we do talk about that. We talk about how. Um, we were friends with Adam Sandler and, uh-huh. and, uh, and we had no idea. We were hanging out in his room all the time. We had no idea who it was. Mm-hmm. So, but, but it's, it, it, a lot of it is really fun and it's just really great to sort of reconnect with all these people. We've been having a wonderful time doing it. Oh, yeah, wait. And that's airing now? It starts, it starts um, on Monday. We have the preview episode, and then we start with Diane on the 30th, on Monday the 30th. Fabulous, fabulous. It's part of, of, of something that's coming out called James a Palooza. Woo! 
where we're celebrating James St. James. We're celebrating him on the WOW Report. We're celebrating him on WOW Presents Plus. We're going to have a special carousel of all his transformations. I mean, it's only been 25 freaking years. So yeah. Thank you. You're, you're part of the Jennifer Coolidge gene smart renaissance. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yes. Finally, I've been toiling away in that damn basement for 20 years. <laughs> but I love it. I mean, cause just because there's so many um, parties in New York that will only exist in our imagination. I mean, I remember going to a birthday party for Keith Haring at the Palladium. I remember that one with Madonna. Yeah, Madonna, and remember all the they they had all these blow up radiant babies. Remember the radiant baby that he drew, and they fell from the ceiling, and it was just like. And I remember being like, you know, well, I was wasted, and so it's a miracle I remember it at all. But just thinking, who's going to remember this? Well, exactly. Because Rudolph says, Rudolph, who owned Palladium, Danceteria, and so many clubs, he says that really the revolution in ideas and culture, it happens in nightclubs, you know, in whorehouses and nightclubs. And and so if you don't tell the story, it just gets forgotten. And the amazing thing is that James and James, extraordinarily fucked up, though he was day in, day out, night in, night out, he seemed to have perfect recall of all of it. It's amazing. <laughs> And the Palladium's not even there anymore. It's a it's an NYU dorm. The dorm is right? so it's, sad. It's, it's, I know. I don't know if Danceteria, the building is there. The building is the... there, but it doesn't. It's it's of course. But you know, how fabulous as an NYU freshman, you could I would lo- love to live in the Palladium dorm. Yeah, that, they do say that you can, <laughs> you can hear, on many nights you can hear the ghost of Bianca Jagger <laughs> doing right. coke in the bathrooms. Yeah. Well, and this isn't only a podcast, which you can get wherever you podcast, but you can watch it on WoW Presents Plus. I love it. There's love, a video you talk, element. You, you talk about area. I love oh, that. Yeah. Club. Oh, I God, that no. was so we, much fun. Everything, you know, we actually start... Um, you know, like Max's Kansas City and all that stuff. And then we go right in through raving and, and uh, you know, all the through the 90s. Everything eventually gets name checked and Love everything. It. It, there's stories about everything. And we were when we first decided what to do, we had a list of like 75 people just right off the top of our heads that we had to talk to, you know. And so hopefully we get get a season two and three and people enjoy the show. And and then we can have you on, Alec, and you can talk about the yeah. falling and. Uh, yeah, I mean, eventually, I, I want to get everybody who was there, you know. Oh, so exciting. It was so wonderful and colorful, and it was so much fun. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, the air sparkled in the 80s, didn't it? I mean, like, mm-hmm. it literally, it was a different, you know. Also, it was dangerous, you know. It's like people were dying, you know. It was like New York the City. Of a volcano. Was, yeah, and it was just kind of like, exactly, exactly. There was so much death that we were surrounded by. And then the nightlife, all of our passion and color and creativity went into that. It was beautiful. Yeah, yeah I mean, I think it was kind of more beautiful in retrospect than it was at the time. I often think that, you know, when you're living in a special time, you don't know it. You don't sense yeah. it. But but in retrospect, you know, in a sort of post in an Internet era where people just don't get together the way that we used to then, it does seem very magical. Um, I don't know, but I, I do remember, like, like I, you know, I talk about the Williamsburg Bridge Party, and I remember saying at the time, looking, you know, I was probably on ecstasy and hugging, you know, the person next to me saying, it's never going to get better than this. This is the absolute pinnacle of my life. <laughs> You know, but of course that was the ecstasy talking, but looking, looking back, it really was one of the greatest times of my life. 
Well, James, you know, 30 years from now, you'll look back on this moment today and be like, it was so magical. It was so magical. Remember Blake? Remember how wonderful Blake was after he's been dead and gone for 20 years? We'll we remember back playing today. You're on Mute. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh. Thank you so much, Alex. It's been lovely to have you. We're out of time, but oh, bless you. Love you. Amazing. Have you back anytime. Please come. Oh, I'd love to. Bye bye, darlings. Thank you, James. Thank you, Blake. You, um, you can listen to previous episodes on our YouTube channel, Wow Presents. Um, and uh, we'll see you the same time, same place next week. Until then, go out and do something that makes the world go wow. Wow. <laughs>